The most remarkable thing about John 17 is that it is Jesus' prayer. It's Jesus' last prayer before that happens right after his last meal and right before his last act of love and sacrifice for his disciples. And so you'd think if you want to capture Jesus' heart, this would be the moment to do it. What does Jesus pray for? And today we're going to look particularly um, in verses 7 through 19, but I'm going to read a little bit more than that just so that you have a sense of the whole prayer. And so I'm going to start actually in verse 1. Let's, uh, let's give attention to God's Word. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to, to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them... I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not pray for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, so much to say, so little time to say it in. God, would you bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your holy word so that we would be the people that Jesus prays for us to be. We ask it in his name. Amen. If you've, uh, if you've been around the church any time or if you've been around Christian things, uh, groups, etc., you've probably heard the phrase, in the world but not of the world. That phrase is not in the Bible, but it's, uh, the, the heart of that phrase is true and it's in this prayer. And so what we're going to look at today, there's really um, there's a whole lot in the prayer. There's three main aspects of this prayer that I wanted to cover in our time. Two weeks ago, we saw where Jesus prayed for himself, and the theme of that prayer was glory. Jesus prays that God would glorify him and that he would glorify the Father. So we talked about glory and what that meant. Last week, we took a little bit of a detour and just talked about the people that Jesus prays for, who are they? They are the given ones. And now we come to the point where we see what Jesus prays for those given ones. And it's worth mentioning that right here in verse 9, Jesus is really praying for the 11 men who are in front of him. But he is not just praying for them. Right? Because there in verse 20, he says, I don't... Ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So here's, this is a truly remarkable prayer. Jesus is, Jesus is not just praying for Simon Peter, who's standing in front of him, but he's praying for all of the people who will believe because of Simon Peter. He's praying for Simon Peter's spiritual children. And he's not only praying for Simon Peter's spiritual children... He's praying for their children, and for their children, and for their children. Jesus in this prayer is covering the entire church. He is praying for every single believer who has ever lived, who is living, and who, who will ever live. Jesus prays for the whole church in this prayer. And there's two things that really characterize the prayer of Jesus, or at least two things that I'm going to try to summarize uh, this week and then next week. This week, we're going to talk about the mission, right? That Jesus, Jesus prays that they would be sent. Uh, actually, he prays three different things in relation to that mission, but we're going to look at that. And then next week, you'll notice it's hard to escape, and it's really the central prayer. Jesus prays repeatedly for the original disciples and for those who follow after them, that they would be one. This idea of unity, uh, which in a 
in a starkly divided world, in a starkly divided country, in a starkly divided church. This idea of unity uh, can be quite a controversial topic, but it's obviously something that Jesus, uh, Jesus considered pretty important since it was really the one dominating thing he prayed for before he died. So, um, mission and unity. And those two aren't really separate. They go together. Um, but we're doing this just to try and, and, and pull out as much as we can. And so, under that heading of mission, Jesus prays three things for his followers. He prays, one, that they will be protected. Two, that they will be separated. And three, that they will be sent. It's on the last page. so I can't do that. Protected, separated, and sent. All right? Look at how Jesus begins his prayer. Look at verse 9. Um, excuse me, not verse 9, verse 11. Look at where Jesus grounds his prayer. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are. Jesus is praying what he's about to pray because he's leaving. And actually, he's been, he's been talking with the disciples about this the whole time. Now he's talking to God about it, right? So Jesus grounds this, this prayer for protection in the fact that he is about to leave. In essence, he's saying, right, I've kept them. I've done my job, he says in, in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. That's what it means to keep, right? To protect, to guard, to watch over. Father, I've done that, but now I'm leaving. So I need you to step in and do that. Continue to keep them in your name, in your authority, in your power. That they may be one. Jesus' central prayer, that they may be one, even as we are one. He prays it again in verse 21, and so we'll look at that next week. Uh, Jesus says again in verse 12, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. I have done my job, Father. I have not failed. This is the good shepherd talking from John chapter 10, where he says, Not one of my sheep will be stolen out of my Father's hand. But then he says something interesting. He says, I have not, not, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. The reason that's interesting, the, the question that ought to make you ask is, did Jesus fail in the case of Judas? Right? I have not lost one of them except, except, did Jesus drop one? Did he lose a sheep? Some have made that case. Some people have used this verse to say that, that eternal life is not a guarantee, that Jesus only holds it out, that your salvation is always in doubt, and so you better keep your nose clean if you don't want to lose the gift. But that blatantly contradicts what Jesus says. That blatantly contradicts what the rest of the New Testament says. Jesus in John 10 says, My Father is greater than all. No one can snatch my sheep out of the Father's hand. And so we have to say, even with this verse in view, we have to say, Friend, if you are in Christ, then salvation is not 
yours to lose. Let me say that again. If you are in Christ, salvation is not yours to lose. You did not pay for it. You did not earn it. In one sense, it doesn't belong to you. It has been given to you. And it has been given with a repeated guarantee that not one thing and not one person can take it away from you. That is Jesus' guarantee. And, and listen, Satan does not get to pick off the herd. Right? It's not as if, it's not as if our enemy is roaming around just waiting to see who he can pick off. I mean, he is doing that, but he doesn't get to pick off the herd at his whim. Salvation is not yours to lose. Jesus does not lose his sheep. He is not a failure in the case of Judas. Listen, if he was, if he lost one, then we just need to go home. Like, I'm wasting my time. And quite frankly, you're wasting your time. If Jesus... If Jesus fails to keep one sheep secure, then the, whole, then the whole thing's a gamble. And I'd rather just eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus does not lose his sheep. And the reason we can say that, not only because of what Jesus says and what the rest of the New Testament says, but even what it says right here, what it says about Judas Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That phrase right there, son of destruction, son of perdition, maybe what your translation says, that's that's an old Hebrew phrase. And it talks about the man, and this is coming out of the Psalms, the man who is destined for destruction. Jesus did not lose Judas. Judas' destiny was already set. He is the son of destruction. Destruction. Why? So that the scripture may be fulfilled. Judas's role, Judas, Judas's betrayal, is simply the fulfillment of scripture. It is the fulfillment of God's purpose. Now, here's why that's a comforting thought. What it tells you is this: evil men, evil people, who do evil deeds are not outside of God's control. They they do not surprise the Father in heaven. Evil people who do evil things are not a surprise to God. In fact, they are within the plan, right? They are a part of God's purpose and will. And so even as Jesus says this, he says it in front of the disciples so that they can be comforted. Jesus loses none of his sheep Judas left because Judas was never a sheep. And Judas had a part to play. And so, evil people doing evil things actually play right into God's hand. And that's important because Jesus then prays a little bit later on, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Professional wrestling hit a uh, resurgence while I was in high school. So we spent usually every Monday night 
and every Thursday night, glued to the television, watching professional wrestling, right? Watching these muscle-bound dudes jump off of uh, jump off the ropes, hit each other with chairs, break tables, etc. And usually, then we tried to imitate that. Um, one of the things that you would it's fake, okay? It's fake. Sorry. It's choreographed. It's a dance. It's dancing, fellas. That's what it is. Okay? Uh, it's a choreographed dance. All right? Um, we'll stop right there. So one of the things I, I remember, right, one, one, of the, one of the moves in professional wrestling, right, is a, is a submission hold, right? You have, you have these different wrestlers, and their, their goal, of course, is to beat their opponent. And one of the ways to do that is to put them in so much pain that they want to tap out. Right, I remember one guy, um, Chris Benoit, the Canadian crippler, <laughs> which sounds which sounds kind of like an oxymoron. America. All right, so um, right, what what Chris Benoit would do is right, he would he would take his opponent's legs and he would kind of wrap them around his own leg like a pretzel, and then he would pull back and and he would bend. So he would bend his opponent kind of like this, and again, the goal was to get him to to slap the mat to tap out. And I would do that to my youngest brother because that was the one I could actually do it to. Um, but the, the goal was to, was to create so much pain that the other person would, would cry uncle, right? Would stop. Because that's what we want to do when the opposition comes, right? That's what we want to do in the midst of, of pain is we, is we want out, we want to get out of the ring. We want it to stop. And Jesus knows that. But he prays, Father, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. In this arena, in this life, right, Jesus has already said, and he says it again in this prayer, the world hates them because they are not of the world. He warned the disciples, the world will hate you because you don't belong here. Because you bear the light and the darkness. The darkness wants to extinguish it. And we want nothing more when that happens than to slap the mat and tap out. And, and Jesus says, I'm not asking for that. I'm asking that they stay in it. But I am asking, not that they be removed. Because they're... The, look, the, the joy... The joy of the Christian life does not come with comfort. The joy of the Christian life does not come with ease. That's what I want it. Right? That's, that's what Joel Osteen says the brochure looks like. It's what I want the brochure to look like. But the simple truth of the matter is, if you read Jesus' last words, that's not what the brochure looks like. It's not what the early church encountered. Right? That the more... We carry the Word of God into the world. The more the world will oppose us, not just like, oh, they're weird, let's leave them alone, but actually actively oppose the church. And Jesus says, don't let them quit. Their destiny is not outside of this. They are good for the world. They need to stay in the world. I'm not praying that you take them out. But, I am praying that you protect them. Now usually, right, when you think of prayers for protection, you think, you know, 
pray for protection during surgery or pray that we make it to our destination safe and sound. Like those are the things that we, those are the kinds of protection that we pray for, and those aren't necessarily wrong. But it's interesting to see what, G, what kind of protection Jesus prays for. We are in enemy territory. And Jesus prays, and unless we would get too big for our britches and think that we have more firepower in and of ourselves than our enemy does, Jesus says, no, no. You are not removed from the world, but you do need to be protected. And he prays that, friends, so that when you are overwhelmed, when you, when you feel your legs wrapped in a pretzel and your back bent in half and you want to tap out, you remember that, that the Father in heaven is protecting you. And as, as John Calvin says about this passage, we can, we can go to fight without the fear of being mortally wounded. That we, can, that we can say, we can hear Jesus saying, as, as the hymn, How Firm a Foundation Says, that soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That is what Jesus is praying for, that when the opposition comes and come, it will that we would be protected. And connected to that, that we will be separated. Separated. That's what Jesus really is praying for in verse 17. When he says, sanctify them. That word, sanctify, that's a special churchy word. It's a Bible word, so we need to talk about it. We need to define it. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, it's, a, it's an active form, it's a verb of the word holy. It's the same word uh, that just a little bit earlier, when Jesus prays to the Father, he calls him Holy Father. Here now, he's saying sanctified, right? And it's the verb form of that word, okay? What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? I want you to, if you need to, close your eyes. When I say the phrase, holy people, what is the first thing that comes to mind? What words come to mind? Wow, y'all actually talk back. Right? Um, holy people. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a negative connotation, right? Maybe when you, when you hear holy people, you think holier than thou. Right? Sanctimonious. Not, not sanctified, but sanctimonious. People who act, act morally superior to others. That's what I think of anyway. Um, maybe, at least for those of you who actually answered the question, you thought of good things, which is nice, right? That, that you think moral purity, goodness, holy people are morally good people. And that's true. But it's not, it's not the whole story behind the word holy. Holiness... Is not actu- does not actually mean goodness. Holiness does not actually mean purity. Though sometimes, right, in our minds, those are connected. What holiness means is set apart, different, separate. 
So God is the only being who in and of himself is holy. And when we say that God is holy, it means that he is set apart. He is different. There is none like him. There is no comparison to him. And so, and you can really say, I think as R.C. Sproul argues, that, that holiness is the central attribute of God's character. So whether you're talking about God's justice or his power, or his wisdom, or his love, the word holy defines all of those. His is a holy justice. There's no justice as perfect as his. It is set apart. It is different. His is a holy power. No one has the power that God has. No God, no false God exercises the, the power that God has. His wisdom is holy. It is separate. It is different. It is far above the wisdom of man. His love is is a holy love. No one loves like God loves. So what does that mean for us? Here's what's interesting. If you uh, are, a, are a student of the Bible, if you follow the story arc of the Bible, back in the Old Testament, when God first begins to come to people and he begins a relationship with people, what actually happens As the holy God approaches unholy people, is he sets them apart. Right? And so this is particularly true in Exodus, the book of Exodus. God goes to his people in Egypt and he rescues them from slavery. And then in Exodus 19 and 20, if you were to read those chapters, you would see that God is saying, I have rescued you, I have set you apart. You are mine, now live like it. So God sanctifies by saving his people. And then he says, now live sanctified or set apart different lives. Right? He says repeatedly in the book of Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. You are mine. I've called you holy. I've set you in this relationship to me. Now it's time to be that. And so holiness is first relational. Holiness is first about who you are joined to. And then it is moral, what you do and don't do. And so that's the the aspect we usually think of when it comes to holiness or sanctification, right? Growing to be more like Jesus. But the fact of the matter is you can't be more like Jesus if you don't first belong to Jesus. So the Bible actually uses that word two ways, right? We are sanctified and then we must be sanctified. Jesus sets us apart. And then says, so live. Okay? And you see that. You see that right here. How are we sanctified? Verse 19. Excuse me, verse 17. How are, they, how are we sanctified? How are we set apart? Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the first way or, or one way that we are set apart, that we live differently, that we're separated from the world, is that we follow a different word. The world has its multitude of words, right? It has its instructions, it has its marching orders, and it has its way of thinking and feeling and seeing everything. Jesus prays for us that we would not set the course of our life by the way the world works. He says, instead, Lord, set them apart through your word. Change the way they think. Change the way they feel. Change the way they see. Change the way they act. What instruction do we have for that? The word. We are set apart as we engage in the word. 
And just so we're clear, right, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He doesn't say your word is true. There are lots of books that are true. Encyclopedias, for the most part, are true. Jesus says something very different about the Bible. He says, your word is truth. It is the definition of truth. It doesn't just have true things to say. It is the truth, and we are set apart. The more we know it, the more we listen to God, the more he speaks to us, we are separated. We become, as hard as it may seem, we become holy. But there's more. Something else really has to happen first, and this is what's in verse 19. Jesus says, and I'm going to, if you, if you notice, maybe you have a footnote that talks about the difference there. Jesus, in, in my translation, says, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. That's the same word. Jesus, so if I'm, if, if I'm going to do that, let's see, for their sake I sanctify myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. Or, for their sake I consecrate myself so that they may also be consecrated in truth. For their sake, I set myself apart, so that they may also be set apart in truth. Jesus goes first. Not that Jesus needs to be made better. You know, if, if, if your only def, definition of sanctification is that you grow in holiness, Jesus couldn't grow in holiness anymore. He is the definition of holy. Okay, And so, what Jesus is saying is, I am dedicating myself, setting myself apart to God's purpose. That's what it means to live a sanctified life, that you are set apart for God. Jesus says, I am dedicated to God's purpose, which for him meant dying on the cross and paying for sinners. And he says, as I do that, I sanctify the people who believe in me. I sanctify myself, I consecrate myself so that everyone who follows me can be consecrated too. Jesus goes first. Jesus prays that we would be protected. Jesus prays that we would be separated. And so let's say this. If your life is purchased by the holy life of Jesus, then Jesus prays that you would be holy. Jesus prays that you would be separated, that you would no longer take your cues from the world but that you would take his, your cues from his word, that your life would more and more imitate and emulate the Holy One. Why? To what end? That's the third prayer, that they may be sent. Jesus prays that be protected, that we would be separated, and that we would be sent. That's the, that's the wrestle in these verses. Lord, don't take them out. Don't, take, don't remove them. They're not of the world. They don't belong to the world. They, they're a different creature. They're a different, they come from a different family. But, but they, they're still in the world. Verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus' people... Though we are separated and set apart, we are not alienated and left alone. We are set apart and then placed right in the middle 
so that we would have an impact for the world. I mean, Jesus says, just as you sent me, so I am sending them. What was Jesus sent to do? And that tells you what you're sent to do. Jesus was sent into the world to proclaim the good news that God saves sinners. And we're to do the same. And the reason that you know that Jesus' prayer is effective is because you're still sitting here. Right? Jesus prays, I'm not praying only for them, but for those who will believe in me through their word. If those first 11 men were not sent, if they did not fulfill the mission, then you and I would not be sitting here. But Christianity grew, dominated the ancient world, and has leapt from continent to continent and is covering the world. And so a holy life, a separated life, does not exist for itself. As our hearts and lives are anchored to Jesus, so we, we are sent into the world. So don't let anybody say that there's no mission for me. Your life is a peculiar witness to the higher reality that we hope all people would be a part of. Your life is meant to be a peculiar witness to a greater reality that we would want everyone to be a part of. Put another way, Jesus says, I say these things in the world so that my joy may be fulfilled in themselves. That my joy may be fulfilled in them. There is a joy that Jesus offers. He came into the world to proclaim it and make it possible, and everyone who believes holds out the same thing. We so energetically support uh, so many causes, hobbies, sports. But when it comes to this, I've often, I've often heard preachers say, man, we get all excited about Alabama football. How come we can't get excited about Jesus? We're really talking about apples and oranges. Right? That, that tactic which is aimed to make people feel guilty, it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, we should have coffee sometime than it is to say, hey, you need Jesus. Hey, did you see the football game? It's a lot easier question to ask than, hey, did you know you're going to go to hell one day apart from Jesus? It is a weighty thing to hold out life and death. And so do, do not be ashamed that you shrink back from that. Because we offer, we offer a reality and a joy far beyond anything that the world can offer. And that is a weighty thing. But Jesus came to offer it. He was sent into the world to give it. And so we also have been sent to do the same. Listen to the Apostle Paul. We'll close with this thought. Listen to the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It really brings all of these together, protection, separation, and mission uh, being sent. It brings it all together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Paul says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Jesus prays that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Friend, where is your joy? Who is your joy? Jesus came so that rebellious sinners could know the holy joy of God. Do you know the holy joy of God? Let's pray. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. O Lord, may we live and thrive under the prayer of Jesus. God, forgive us for seeking to thrive under so many other masters, under so many other lesser joys. And then we're shocked, appalled, when persecution and opposition comes, when, surprise, surprise, the world around us does not share our views. Forgive us for seeking that and forgetting that our anchor is elsewhere. In fact, our anchor is in the heavens. And we are being drawn inexorably there. Help us to look up, lift our eyes up to Jesus. And not forget the world. It is for joy that we are left in the world. It is for joy that we are sent into the world. Our joy joy that really comes from you, joy that we hope and pray others will see and take hold of. Would you give us hearts that realize we are protected by the strongest hand in the universe, that we have the power of the Spirit to live a separate, set-apart life, that as we do, we are sent into the world proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Receive a blessing from God's word.